Yeah, after Mo works on the computer eight hours a day, Mo doesn't want to see a computer until the next day. Like, honestly, hearing how many Zoom calls you do in a week, I'm just impressed that you're willing to get on a Zoom call with me <laughs> after hours. I mean, I mean, I'll be honest, there are some times where I'm like, Abby, I just can't. But most of the time I can handle talking to you. Does it help that we're talking about books instead of work? Uh, it, it helps that I'm just talking to you in general because I like talking to you, so it's fine. Aww. Hey guys, here's what's coming up. Next week on June 21st, we will be talking about Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, the fourth installment in the Harry Potter series. Then on June 28th, we will be discussing our top 10 favorite authors. This week's episode is thanks to our patron. Do you want to get in on the poll to help choose an episode every month? Then you're in luck. Every patron who signs up at a $5 or more level gets to vote. This tier also gets you a shout out every episode just for being awesome and a The Book Life logo sticker you can stick anywhere you want to show off your love of books. We hope you consider supporting us if you can, and we're incredibly grateful to all of you for listening in every week. Thank you. Speaking of thank yous, we want to send a huge thank you and shout out to our patron, Ronnie. We hope you love this episode. Now, on with the show. Welcome back to the Book Life Podcast with your hosts, myself, Mar, and my best friend, Abby. Tonight, we are featuring our first voted for Patreon episode. So our Patreon Ronnie voted for the fifth season. So if you two would like to vote for any books that you want us to review, you should subscribe now and become a Patreon and you too will get access to these exciting polls plus other additional content like our mini episodes, mugs and bookmarks and other awesome things. So oh, let's kick it off. With this excellent book, I'm going to read some fun facts about our author. The author of this book is M.K. I hope I say this right. Jennison. She made history as the first writer ever to win the prestigious Hugo Award three times in a row with the Broken Earth Trilogy books, which are the trilogy that this book, the fifth season, is the start of. Wow, that's really impressive, actually. Yeah. Back to back. She won them back to back with these books. Um, more impressed coming up. She is the first black author to ever win the Hugo Award in the best novel category for the fifth season, which is a post-apocalyptic tale in common here in society and race relations. Um, the fifth ooh, I didn't know this. The fifth season is currently being developed into a TV drama series for the TNT network. How are they gonna do this? I don't need to know that right now. We'll talk about why. I'm asking that. I have some serious thoughts about that. Her book and her trilogy series of books, as well as her other novels, draws on the human history of structural oppression and her feelings about this moment in American history. Okay. Wow. Her first novel, The Hundred Thousand Kings, was published in 2010 to critical acclaim, guarding her nominations for a Hugo, a Nebula, and a World Fantasy Award that year. That's awesome. Yeah. She was born in Iowa, but currently lives and works in Brooklyn, New York. And cool and different. One thing I really appreciate about this is the fact that I feel like in fantasy you don't get a lot of female authors, and I feel like they're becoming more prevalent, which makes me so happy. And not just that, too, um, just like with Evan Winter, we're getting more black authors also 
inside fantasy, which brings a whole different perspective. Yes. Black and Asian authors, I feel like, are starting to get a whole lot more notice and talk surrounding them, which I really enjoy because I really enjoy the different cultures that they bring into their stories. I really enjoy, like, Chinese and Japanese culture I really love to begin with. So I'm loving that there are more Asian authors in fantasy, and I really love all of the different aspects of the different African cultures that are being brought in. Oh my goodness, I love it so much. (laughs) I love the diversity. I agree because, I mean, that made me think distinctly of one of the books I recently read that we were going to feature in a mini episode called The Poppy War by R.A. Kwong, which, gosh, it was so... I feel like it's along the same lines as Fifth Season, it's a newer genre that people are calling grim, dark fantasy, but it was good. Like, it was intense, and I highly enjoyed it. I can't wait to tell you about it in one of our mini-episodes. Yeah. I'm going to be doing a mini-episode about Spin the Dawn by Elizabeth Lim. I read this duology last year. Spin the Dawn is the first book in it, but she did such an amazing job of weaving the different Chinese mythos mythoses into her story. And it was just a fascinating and beautiful read. So we'll be talking about that one too. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to do it. I love when I get to tell you all about the books that I think you should be reading. Mm-hmm. I love doing those episodes. Oh, let's go into a summary of this book, Gabby. Can you lead us through a little bit what this book is about? Sure. In a world that periodically ends in ash and smoke and starvation, we follow three women as they traverse the dangerous continent. Asun discovers her little boy, brutally murdered by the hands of her husband, and is forced to chase after him to save their daughter, who he has stolen away. Cyanite, a trained orogene who can create earthquakes and feel the vibrations of the world, is paired with a madman and sent on a mission that will shake the foundations of her world. Dayama, a young girl who has newly discovered her origin abilities, will be sent to train under the watchful eye of the Guardians, and will begin to discover that everything is not as it seems. So I need to ask you, Abby, what format did you read this book? I read the paperback. Interesting. How did it read as a paperback, you feel? I'm curious because I listened to it, and... The audio book was so immersive and so good. I really love the, what do you call them? Narrator. I really love the narrator and the way she read it. Like, I can't imagine not having done these as an audio book. So that's why I was curious how it was, if you felt like if you got pulled into the world, that you just were so fascinated by it, if how the voice kind of translated so the first like chapter of this book, like the beginning part, was a little hard to get through because it's jumping around and you're touching on these different areas of the continent and different portions of the history of the continent and then portions of Asun's story. And so that beginning part was kind of hard to follow. I found myself having to like stop and reread paragraphs just to be like, oh, oh, 
we switched. We're switched. We switched to something else. <laughs> Cause like I'd be with Asun because she finds her dead little boy in their house. And then all of a sudden we're jumping and we're talking about the obelisks that are hanging up in the sky. And I'm like, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> and you're like, well, what is this? And then all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden we're in this major city. I'm like, I, I'm getting whiplash here. <laughs> Cause it was just like, you never got more than a couple paragraphs. And all of a sudden you're jumping to something completely different. I'm like, yeah, that's what I was wondering because like, I felt I, I had no problem following uh, the jumping because they, they were different enough mm-hmm. that I was like, oh yeah, I know what's going on. But I also understand because this book also is told from three different people and three different perspectives. And if I remember between each chapter, you get like, like history in different seasons. The seasons are different times after basically a volcano went off and they called it different kinds of seasons like acid season dark season some yeah it's um excerpts from stone lore which is what they call like the writings that have been passed down through the different civilizations basically giving you advice on how to make it through the seasons because food can't grow and animals go nuts and all sorts of bad things happen. So there's just like these, like a few lines extracted from stone lore at the end of each chapter. So outside of that first chapter where they were jumping around, it was very easy for me to follow. Okay. It was just that initial shock of you start with a soon. And I expected we were going to be with her for the first chapter. And then we got a couple paragraphs about how she's kneeling by her dead child. And then we're, talking about obelisks or something and you get a couple paragraphs about the obelisks hanging in the sky and then you're you're jumping to this major city where this guy is like people watching on a hill I mean like (laughs) (laughs) so it was just that it was just that first chapter that kind of threw me off I was like what (laughs) what is going on okay I don't feel so bad. I, I mean, I feel bad for you because I kind of rough. Um, I did just look up. So it was narrated by Robin Mills, who actually narrated Hidden Figures, which I know you've read. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I might have to reread the audiobook then. Yeah. Yes. So, Abby, can you lead us through the characters? Who Who are the characters of this book? You talked about three of them in a summary, but tell us, tell us a little bit more about them. All right, we will go over just some of the main ones. There's a lot of characters in the story and some of them I don't feel like we can talk about without really spoiling stuff. And that is not what we are here to do in this first half. So for those of you that have read the book, you will notice that there are people left off this list. It's for a reason. (laughs) So first we have Demaya. She's the youngest of our main characters. And... She has newly discovered her origin powers. She's probably about 12 or so. I don't believe they ever specify her age. But she accidentally discovered her ability to create earthquakes and all that. So when we meet her, she is meeting her guardian. Her guardian is Shafa. And he is one of the official guardians is what they're called. They lead the fulcrum trained origins and 
give them their assignments and make sure that their powers don't go out of control, basically. And that's what Shafa's job is, is to go around the countryside and find children who are discovering their origin powers and bring them back to the fulcrum so that they can be trained. Then we have Cyanite. Cyanite is a probably 20-something fulcrum-trained origin. She, when we meet her, she is a four-ringer. You can have up to 10 rings, and that just tells what level you're at, what power level you supposedly have, and what you've worked up to. She is ambitious. She's willing to do what she needs to do to get ahead, and she's definitely not afraid to do it. Then we have Alabaster. He is the only 10-ring origin in the fulcrum. And Cyanite considers him to be a little mad, but he, Alabaster and Cyanite are paired up to go on this mission to a coastal town. And he is supposed to be mentoring her since he has 10 rings and is more powerful and she only has four. Then we have Asun, who is the third of our main women that we are following. She is a 40-something, mother of two, married, and she is an origin, but she is living outside the fulcrum in a smaller community, which is not something that the guardians tolerate. And so she has been suppressing her power and not using it so that she is not discovered. Since she is an origin, both her children end up having the gift and that is what causes her husband to murder their son because the child does something that causes him to realize that he has the power. And most normal people are afraid of origins. And as a consequence, he kills his son because he's afraid. And so Asun sets out on this journey because her husband takes their daughter, which is their other child, and flees the community. On the road, she meets Hoa, who is a young boy of indeterminate age. He is very strange, has a lot of strange traits about him. He's just, he's very strange. <laughs> I don't know what else I could really say about him. Yes, no, I, I feel like there is not much more you can say. He is, you just, Read to get to know him. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, I thought that was a very excellent like rendezvous. I'm like, that is not the word you're looking for, Mon. Jeez. A very excellent <laughs> listing of the main characters that you encounter. I know I like the way you presented them as well. So one thing to note while you read this book is that you are going to jump around between three different perspectives which can be a little jarring a little bit because you're like, how are they all interwoven? What's going on? And then slowly all the tales come together. And I think you could not have done a better job, Abby. I think we are ready to take a break and really deep dive into our favorite characters, least favorite characters, favorite scenes, least favorite scenes, and our final ratings. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's do this. See you guys in a minute. Talk to you guys in a minute. I'm Kayla. And I'm Haley. And we host a podcast we majored in English for this. It's a weekly show on YA fiction and tomfoolery. 
Join us each week as we rant, rave, and recap your favorite young adult fiction books. You can find us on all your favorite streaming platforms. And now back to your show. Welcome back, guys. And remember, this half is spoilers. So if you have not read this book, we suggest you stop right here and go read it before you continue. Yes, we do. But if you don't care about spoilers or you've read the book, please continue listening. All right. Do we want to start with favorite characters? Hit me. All right. So I was kind of like all around this story. So if I was going to pick a uh, spoiler alert. Uh, the stage of life of as soon I would, you know, like you could pick either Demaya, Sinanite, or as soon. As soon was my favorite stage, basically, of her life. I'm, I'm calling them stages. I liked that she was older and wiser. She was more cautious. She was trying to just make a good life for herself, her husband, and their kids. And she was happy for, you know, for all the crap she had to deal with to get there. She finally was happy. But dear God, when when she got back and her son was dead and her daughter is missing, I'm like, I'm like, I felt that like her mission of vengeance in my heart. I'm like, yes, girl, let's get this going. Like, let's go hunt down this awful human being that you made children with because he's a POS, you know? Mm-hmm, for sure. And then like knowing the fact that she's lost two kids. Mm. Yeah. Spoiler guys. She had a kid before these two. She lost him. I was so mad. Like, I i mean, once I got, I'm like, yes, we are going to hunt this man down. I'm so mad. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And then well, I liked everybody that kind of ran into her story. I like Tonky. Tonky's just this very weird, but delightful, dirty um, ge- geomist. So they're a studier of, like, I don't know how to describe what they study. They study the earth. They study chemicals. They're a scientist. And in general, like, I love how as soon as, like, has this woman ever taken a bath? Like, ew. She's kind of gross. <laughs> and, they, and she's like, you know, I'm just going to take her with me, whatever. Um, but she ends up taking Tonki with her because Hoa has joined her by this point. And she ran into him after her calm was, well, she got kind of, I think she just, ooh, I think she got pissed and blew up part of her calm and then she left. And then she kind of ran into this camp of refugees because they're basically in the middle of a season. And a season is um, when the equivalent of what I think of when a volcano goes off and it's spewing ash to the sky. Like, you know, it's not good. And well, she finds this kid. And he's kind of serious, and I feel like he really turns into a, um, I guess, a surrogate like son to her because he is really reminiscent of the son she just lost and the son she lost previously. Mm-hmm. And then, holy crap! Although we find out he's scary powerful, but hey, that's okay because he's dedicated to a suit. Not a big deal. And then we have um, Alabaster who. We see in two different parts of the book. We see him with Sinai, and then we see him with later with Asun. And he's just so much deeper than I anticipated. Like, here's this guy that's been told, hey, you got to go have sex, essentially, with all the female origins and go make more of you because we want to take all your power and we want to breed you like a dog. So here, 
Where is this chick? And soon, go train her or, and have sex and get her pregnant. Have fun. Bye. Which, I mean, he does. Um, he does get her pregnant. But they're able to make a life together. And I love how much he loves their child. Like, he was such a good father to that kid. Mm-hmm. And that, and, mm, I won't talk about all my feelings about some of those scenes, but I have so many feelings about Alabaster. I feel like Alabaster was the kind of character who, if he had been given a normal life, still probably would have had that dozen kids, but he would have actually been with somebody that he cared about, you know? Oh, yeah. Yep. I completely agree with that. Well, tell me about your favorite characters. I ran through my four favorite characters out of this book. What are your favorites? So I agree with Tonky. I called her Ben off in my notes because, as you will find going through this book, it's all one timeline. (laughs) I really like how different and quirky and curious she was. I liked that she was genuinely trying to get to the bottom of things, even from this young age, sneaking into the fulcrum and acting like one of the grits. Like when you meet her as Ben off, she's very clearly this character who's going to get things done somehow. <laughs> and so I really liked that about her. I also like how quick she was to become friends with Demaya. Yeah. Like yeah. I know Demaya was the only one who actually noticed her. But the fact that she was just like, sweet, we're friends now. <laughs> it's just, okay. Why not? It worked. Right, exactly. I really enjoyed Cyanite. Despite all the unpleasantness in that part of her story, I think Cyanite was my favorite of the three incarnations of this woman that we saw. I really enjoyed her and her strength and her ambition. I appreciated that through everything they put her through, she didn't break. She just, she had that kind of inner strength that she was just not going to be broken. She was going to continue on even after the loss of her happiness and everything. Mm. And I feel like a lot of Cyanite's personality as Cyanite in is her in her truest form. Um, it's a suppressed form, but I feel like that was probably the truest form she was in because as, as, as soon she was forcing herself to be quieter, to fade into the background, to not really be noticed or thought of because she wanted to go unnoticed so that the fulcrum wouldn't track her down. But as cyanide, she was very... She wasn't afraid to be angry, to express herself, to say things. So I think I liked Cyanide the best of the three personally. And I really liked Inan. I won't lie. The relationship was a little weird. I was uh, not expecting that. I completely agree with that. And I was like, oh, oh, we're doing this. Okay. I'm all right then. You know, okay, so when she goes with that, so this is going to be a content warning for you. If you are not someone who can enjoy reading, or not even enjoy, like someone who cannot handle reading about a poly relationship between a non-alabaster and Sennonite, you will not like this book. But hopefully at this point, you've already have 
read the book. And so you're like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I got through it. But Abby, I understand. When I first started reading it, I was like, oh, this is weird. Okay, but this is fine. But the book is also a little explicit. And it got into some interesting details where I was like, I don't enjoy reading this in my normal, you know, straight way. I don't really want to read it any which way. Like, I don't want to read about sex at all, ever. That's just me, though. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I was, uh, I was like, okay, you're going to do this. And then it kept going. And I was like, oh, you're, you're going to do this. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so I really liked him on, like, his character in general was just awesome. He's one of those dynamic people that just attracts other people to them. Mm -hmm. And I loved him for the happiness that he brought to Alabaster and Cyanide's lives, however brief that was. But I genuinely appreciate that they got that time to be genuinely happy for a while because they go through so much crap. Like literally when we get there, I feel like that is such so many feelings about like how you say that because I felt exactly the same way. Like the scenes where he is in are some of the best, I think best scenes in the whole book, you know, mm-hmm. when they're on that island on in that com- commune and I'm just like, and then, ooh, after all the other crap. Anyway, that's a different part of this podcast sorry sorry we get sidetracked plenty yeah we do all right so let's talk about the people we didn't like oh okay that's not hard at all everyone just everyone in this book that's not an origin or a stone eater basically sucks like there's a very few exceptions but oh the, the way they treated the maya in the beginning like her family Sorry, she caused an earthquake, and then they threw her in the barn, and I think, didn't her grandma say to starve her or something? Uh, One of the family members said they should starve him. And, like, they gave away her freaking coat because there's some myth about how they don't feel cold. You're right. Like, are you kidding me? Just because she discovered she has a magic power, basically, it doesn't mean she stopped being your kid. Like, I know. I just, I can't imagine doing that to my child. And it makes me, it made me so angry when the mom did that. Like, <sighs> I know. I was having lots of mom feelings about this. You know what I mean? I had so many mom feelings throughout this book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but they are never ending. Yeah. I know. Personally, I really hated the Guardians. Oh, yes. Yes. 100%. Oh, my God. Like, what a messed up group of people. So you find out that they're not just normal people. No, no. They are the children of Origins who didn't end up with the Origin power. So they got an implant so that they could control the Origins. Wait, wait, before you go into that, so how do they control the Origins? So what happens? Like, you said they have an implant, but describe what happens they get some sort of implant in their neck and then they're able to touch the back of their specific origins necks and like connect with them 
and it's not like a permanent connection. It's one of those things that like has to be renewed every time they see the origin if they're away for a while, but it just like bonds them better, I guess. Mm-hmm. Something. I, the way I kind of got the vibe from it, it was like they're using their own biochemistry, like electrical shots kind of thing to kind of go like zap them and then like in that Kind of a feeling is that but and then that would stop their the origins connection to the earth and then they couldn't draw on the power of the earth to do any of their big feats that's kind of oh, the vibe yeah. i got that was one of their other powers oh, i was thinking okay. of when shafa meets demaya and he touches the back of her neck that first time mm, okay but yeah guardians also have the lovely power of being able to just stop an origin entirely from being able to feel the earth and do anything with their power, which is terrible. But like all the guardians just go die. They're horrible people. They're brainwashing and suppressing and brutalizing children. Oh, I know. Like, oh my God. They talk about their, how, oh, the guardian really loves the origins they're assigned to and Everything they do is for your own. They good. brainwash them. The kids, they completely brainwash the kids. Well, and when Shafa, oh my God, we'll talk about this in okay. least favorite yeah. scenes. Sorry. I mean, <laughs> least favorite characters and least favorite scenes bleed into one another. Oh, they do. We should just talk least favorite scenes. Oh, do you just want to jump into least favorite scenes? We may as well. All right, Abby. So while you're here, why don't you jump into least favorite scenes? So. I hate the scene where Shafa has found Amaya and they're traveling back to the fulcrum. And he's basically telling her, everything I do is for your own good. I truly love you. So everything I'm doing is for your own good. And he goads her into saying something Hmm. and breaks her hand. Breaks a child's hand. Well, and then he like resets the bones while he's telling her how much he cares about her, how much he loves her. And then asking her what lesson she learned by him breaking her hand. Mm. Like, this is a psycho. That is what this is. He is a psycho. Yeah, they're scary. Like just that manipulation of putting pain with that love. Like, mm-hmm. because they're, they're not going to get any... That's like the only kind of affection they're going to get is like that while they're a grit, you know? Well, and you're taking this vulnerable child and telling them that that is love. That messes with a kid so badly. A kid who's just been wrenched out of their family, basically disowned because they never get to go back to their family. And their family basically like, there's no way that you know your origin until you connect to the earth and you draw on the power and either quell an earthquake which is a great thing for you to do if you can quell an earthquake well you can sure raise one up Mm -hmm. god forbid you do that yeah so yeah no i agree with that i uh just the guardians are just terrible they're just they're they're, they are little i think those are like literal boogeymen you know what i mean oh i know So, some other least favorite scenes. Let's see. (laughs) By the way, you listed every single least favorite scene that I felt like I needed to mention. 
So, guys, I'm going to let Abby talk, and I will interject my thoughts as needed, but I will not be adding to this list at all. The first one I thought of when I made this list, anytime cyanide and alabaster had to do the do. <laughs> oh, my God, I know. Oh, my God. It was, it was so painful to get through those scenes. I hated everything about it. And like... Well, I know. They, they were, they consented because they were adults and that they were still forced to do it by other people. It was so cringy. Well, and like, sure, technically they both gave consent, but coercion is still coercion, even if it's from an outside force. Like, oh, I know. Every time I've read one of those scenes, I just like felt icky afterwards, you know? Like, oh. I know. And it went into such detail sometimes where I was kind of like, and granted, remember, I was listening to this and I was like, do, 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 do. Let's not pay attention to the scene. Do, 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 do. How can I fast forward a little bit through this? <sighs> well, and even like, yeah. Even when they just mentioned it in passing that that's what they had done and now they were like, talking afterwards kind of thing I was like oh I know I just uh, nothing about that was good and the fact that they didn't even like each other like remotely oh <sighs> yep so painful so horrible so bad it was so awkward that moment when cyanite handed her two-year-old little boy over to Inan and the boy was sucking his thumb. That just killed me because I knew things were going to end horribly for all of them. And my little almost two-year-old sucks his thumb. Yeah. And so just like that little detail really hit me. And I went, no. It wasn't good. And the fact that you were coming out in that scene from the happiest points of Alabaster Sinanite's life like they found this commune where they're outside of the reach of the fulcrum, where they're also living with seafaring rogue origin who are very untrained, but they, but you know what? That's fine. They've been doing this for a long time and everyone leaves them alone because they're trained enough to protect themselves and their island. And then they're discovered and it sucks. And it sucks so much. Like, I remember thinking when Sinai is like, I really want to go with you. And then I can't stand Ian or Enon. I guess it's Enon. On this island anymore. And I'm like, nope. Don't leave the island. Stay on the island. Don't leave. All right. So it's all going to go downhill right here. And then it did. Yeah. Well, I feel like the crappy part is if she hadn't messed with the volcano, I don't think the Guardians would have noticed them. Precisely. I think they could have just gone on living. So, like, not only does she lose everything that day, but it's her own fault. Which is why I think as she came into her spirit of life, as as soon, season of life, as, as soon, like, that was the big thing. She's like, I will never interfere again because my interference took away all my happiness, you know? Yeah. But yeah, so just like that little detail that her son was sucking, sucking his thumb, just I know. Me. Oh, I know. It killed me so much. The author, author just stabs you right there in the heart. Pretty hard. If she had just been like, yeah, Cyanet handed 
her son over to Inan, I would have been like, okay, I can do this. Yeah. And then, yeah, I'm telling you guys, this book just kills a mother's heart. And then the other scene that I have, Alabaster making Sina stop off at one of the nodes to see exactly how they are torturing children. And then him telling her that he pretty much thinks all of the kids he's had have ended up in nodes. And even this boy who is dead is probably one of his. That just made me go, are you me? Uh, Just the fact of knowing that if an origin can't basically be controlled by the fulcrums, this is where they ended up in a terrible state. Well, and the things that are done to these children, they're not even allowed to be awake. It's literally just their body is kept alive and they are kept unconscious so that their power can be used. Oh, and their body might be sold off while they're unconscious, by the way. Oh my God, that was horrifying. Yeah, that was. Oh God, that was so cringe. Yeah. But yeah, so basically these kids are kept unconscious and these kids keep the earthquakes. Like they're at, what are they called? Waypoints? No. Right? Nodes, nodes. And so they're, they're kept unconscious and they unconsciously will quell the earthquakes and the other things so that everyone else lives happy hunky-dory but not these kids yeah that was just there was nothing good about any of that and I find it really interesting that the fulcrum lets the origin assume that people are just assigned to nodes rather because obviously that's more palatable than, oh yeah, we ship children off, keep them unconscious and just use their power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hated it. Yeah. It's just just more, more of why I don't like anyone that's not an origin or not a stone eater. Because like, if everyone ended up like the com, the com where Inan was, they were fine. They all coexisted. They all... Which is fine. But man. Yeah. So let's move on to scenes we actually did like. Well, I want to start that off. So I struggled like pinpointing a single scene. I would say the few chapters we had with Alabaster, Sinanite, and Enin, where they all were happy, where their son was happy, and things were just going really well. So like she got a three-year span where things were okay. Yeah. But overall, this is just not a happy book. Like, I struggle to pinpoint favorite parts of this. I did like when um, Demaya and Benoff go exploring and they find the stairway. I thought that was really interesting. Like, I mean, it wasn't like the happiest, most uplifting thing ever, but it was just interesting. But what I love so much about this book is the world itself. I want to know more about the... Stone Eaters, I want to know more about the origins. I want to know more about the obelisks. Like, just just tell me about the world and just get me away from the awful people. Mm-hmm. So, what about the awful people? Whatever at this point, you know? Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah, what about for you? So, I really liked 
when Cyanite raises the obelisk out of the harbor. I just thought that was a cool little sequence. Like, I didn't really like what happened after, but I did like watching her just be like, fine, screw y'all. I'll get it. I'll just get rid of the coral and whatever's down there is going to pop up. You deal with it. And then it turns out to be his giant obelisk that's like cracked and stuff. And she's just like, well, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I liked the calm that was the giant crystal underground at the end. Not not the people so much, but I liked I liked the structure of the living area and the concept of it. I liked that they found all this technology and they figured out how to make it do the thing it's supposed to do, but they didn't actually know how it worked. So like they could use it and live down there, but if any of it breaks, well, it'll be fine. going to be in trouble. <laughs> so I just, I liked the setup of the layout of that com, not so much the people in it. I liked when Stone Eater randomly showed up and yeeted alabaster and cyanide mm-hmm. out of the coast town before the volcano popped up. <laughs> mm-hmm. And said it, they just wake up on this island and sounds like, Cyanide's just like, WTF just happened. <laughs> Where are we? Like, pr- pretty sure I was 100 miles that away. This <laughs> is like a couple minutes ago. And no, the Stone Eater's like, I got this. I love the Stone Eaters. I want so much. I just want to explore them. I like the Stone Eaters, but I don't trust the one that's been following Alabaster around. She is a you little know? something something. I worry, I worry about her motivations. I don't worry so much about Hoa's motivations, but I do worry about mm-hmm. hers. Then the other scene I really liked was Alabaster showing up again at the end and confirming my suspicion that he was the one at the very beginning who had caused the initial earthquake through the giant city that began the season they are currently in. Because I had a feeling when we met him as a ten ringer, I was like, I feel like you might be the one that did that. And I don't know why, because you clearly don't have that chick with you. (laughs) And then when she saved our lives, I went, I'm right, aren't I? And then, of course, it's confirmed in the very end. I'm like, oh, man, you're in bad shape. (laughs) But thanks for confirming what I knew. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, there's definitely some, when all the little pieces came together at the end, you're just like, oh, yes, I understand what's going on. It was just actually really well, all the little pieces came together. I'm excited if the next book only follows as soon in her story, since now we have, you know, like, why else would we need to follow anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to see what perspectives we get in the next one. I'm curious, at what point did you realize it was all one timeline? Okay, so I kind of realized that Demaya and Asun were together because Enoch kept, I'm like, child. It was really familiar. You know what I mean? And then we had Tonkin. I'm like, are you all the same person? Then I was like, wait a second. I'm like, these are not the same timeline. And. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think when I realized all three women were the same person was probably after, like right after 
all the crap that went down on the island with cyanide. Okay. So what tipped me off was the season. Because as soon as in a season, but neither Demaya or Cyanite is through their stories. And that's what kind of was like, it was weirding me out because I was like, are they not all in a season? This is weird. Like, because the other two weren't talking about any of the season's effects. And that was about like halfway through the book. And that's when I started asking you, I'm like, what's up with this timeline? (laughs) And you were like, I can't tell you that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I got about 60% of the way through the book and I'm like, I bet they're all the same person. <laughs> and then obviously I was right, but obviously you're right, it, was yes. fact, it was the fact that Asun was the only one who was dealing with a season and the, and then like three plus years passes for Cyanet on the Island alone versus it's only a few months for Asun. So I was like, there's no way. <laughs> There's no way okay. this cat will happen at the same time. Because um, Demaya also goes through quite a few years at the fulcrum. And that was the other thing I was like, there's no way. Like, these timelines don't match up to be crossing over here. They've got to be all the same thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Apparently, I was just like, same right. Just going. I don't know. I was just like, the season is what weirded me out first. And then I started looking at the actual like time frames of each of their stories. I'm like, these do not match up. What is going on? <laughs> I like it. All right. So what rating did you give this book then? So for me, this is a five-star book. This is a book I intend to fully listen to again. Um, and the rating might go down after I do that. But for me... This has some of the most unique and exciting and different world buildings that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to deep dive into the whole magic system. I want to learn more about the different lores of the creatures, of the different beings in this world. Please let me deep dive into Stone Eaters. But I, I, I couldn't dive in, even though I have the other two books, I couldn't dive into them. I couldn't dive into them because I just couldn't get past that end scene with Asun's son and our uh, cyanide son and um, alabaster. Like, I didn't realize how much being a mom would affect me and like a whole bunch of crap. And apparently reading stuff about kids is like not like, I'm like, how dare you hurt this child? I'm going to beat the crap out of you. <laughs> so I had to take a break from it because it's way too heavy for me right now. But, like, I loved it. I really loved it. It's amazing how much your perspective shifts as you get older and different things happen in your life. Mm-hmm. Like we're both moms. So obviously we're both like, you hurt that child. How dare you? Right. And the fact like these kids weren't ever saved, the mm-hmm. fact that they died, like I, I, I hate it. Like I know like that's a reality and I know like one, a, a good book takes all reality and puts fantasy stuff into it, which, you know, it's all this. But I also read to escape. And I don't want to read about children dying. Like, oh, yeah, you can kill. You can kill all you want, like adults, whatever. Don't kill the kids. Don't kill the dog. Right. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that. I ended up giving this four stars. Hmm. To me, that's a really solid rating. 
it didn't get five stars because, as you know, I also read to escape. And this was not a happy escape. (laughs) There was very little happiness in this book. So despite how well written it was, it was not an escape for me. It was a, well, dang, I'm glad I don't live here kind of reading, you know? Yes. So I can only give it four stars. It was very well written. The world building was phenomenal. The magic system was just great. I loved everything about it except how dark and depressing it was. Oh my God. Well, and that's what kind of got me about Poppy Wars too. Like I'm really loving like these kind of deep fantasy novels that are really going into hard issues, but same thing. I have all of the other books for the Poppy War trilogy. Yeah, I'm good. I need some happy books for now, please. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of why I was like, yeah, I definitely can't pick up the next one yet. Um <laughs> I highly recommend when you do pick up the next one, you should listen to it. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> okay. Okay. I definitely think this is a very solid start to the trilogy. Like, wham, bam, let's go. And I'm definitely invested in the world and the main character. It was just, yeah, it was just all that darkness and depressing things and I mostly want to read the other two because I want to see it get better. You know? I just want to know what happens. Like, I hope it gets better, but I I, I need to know the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Well, I need to know that something gets better. I need to know that she at least gets some sort of resolution with her daughter and her husband. I need to know what the heck the stone eaters are doing. I need to know that things are going to improve for the origins because that system cannot continue. So that's just what I'm hoping for in the other two books. Yeah. I just need some resolution and some things to at least start improving. I don't need to see all the improvements. I just need to know that it's going to happen. I agree with that. Well, everyone, though, that is our review of the fifth season. That's selected by our more patron, Lonnie. And we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. If you liked what you heard today and want to help us spread the book love, drop us a rating or review on the app you use, or share the episode post on your preferred social media. Everything helps. You can also check out our Patreon for some awesome perks, like access to our mini-series, a monthly guaranteed episode poll, and much more. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under the name The Book Life Podcast. If you'd like to contact us directly, you can email us at thebooklifepodcast at gmail.com. The song is Theme for an Unmade Anime by C8 Benoit from their album Dominique. You can find them on Instagram at C underscore A underscore B-E-N-O-I-T. That's C-A Benoit. And on Spotify under their name, Katie Benoit. Thanks for listening. Till next time.